0: Welcome to this edition of the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. I'm Dave Palmer, the host of the program. Cicel is running the board, and we're glad that you are listening. And I am a lover of books. I'm also a lover of theology and deep topics, and I... Uh, I think you're going to find this conversation interesting because our guest is Dr. Charles Bellinger. He serves as Associate Professor of Theology and Ethics at the Bright Divinity School, also teaches courses at TCU, and he's the author of a number of books, including The Genealogy of Violence, The Trinitarian Self, Jesus versus abortion and the Kierkegaard-Gerard option. And he has his latest book that just was published called Othering the Original Sin of Humanity. I also know uh, Dr. Bellinger because we uh, both worship at the same parish, St. Mary the Virgin Parish in Arlington, Texas. And so, uh, Dr. Bellinger, thanks for uh, being on the program with us today to talk about this latest book of yours.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah, so you're, you're, you're rather a rather prolific author, you enjoy writing, um, there seems to be somewhat of a thread among the books you've written, is there something, kind of a commonality among all these different uh, books and topics, or what, what, what most interests you, generally speaking?
1: Well, uh, when I was in college, um, one of the books I read got me started on this question, why are human beings violent? And you know, I thought that was a very intriguing question, and I've sort of uh, focused on that my whole adult life, my whole uh, scholarly career. So, you know, if, if people look at the titles of the books I've written, you'll you'll see that that's the case. And in my view, I think that the Christian intellectual tradition actually has the best insights into that question: why are human beings violent? I think we have better answers than can comp- be provided by secular social science. So that's what I've been trying to explicate in the various books that I've written.
0: Yeah, well, that last summer was certainly... Uh uh, heyday and not in a good way for violence and seeing everything, buildings going up and fire and people getting attacked. And so uh, there there seems to be, uh, uh, unfortunately, a lot of violence in our culture in many different aspects today. So uh, all the more reason to discuss the, the latest book, uh, as I mentioned, called Othering, The Original Sin of Humanity is the subtitle. And I'm just going to read the first uh, sentence or two uh, from the, the back cover and then let you kind of explain a little bit more of what this term othering means. It says, it's a word used in academic circles, but it may be unfamiliar to many laypersons. This work indu- introduces the word, which is a refined way of describing prejudice, discrimination, and scapegoating. So in addition to what you, the, you write in the first two sentences of the back cover, what, what, what does othering mean?
1: Well, um, it's it's a refined version of prejudice or discrimination. And when I say refined, what I mean is that there's, there's sort of more uh, philosophical reflection that has gone into it. Uh, and what I mean by that is I would define othering as um, defining a group or class of human beings as different from and inferior to the one who is doing the interpreting. And uh, built into that is the idea that people sort of form their own identity or their sense of self-awareness by saying, I am this and I am not that. So take the Nazis as a classic example. They're saying, we are... Aryan Germans, and we are not Jews. Or the violence in Rwanda, you know, we are Hutus, we are not Tutsis. Um, There's myriad examples of this um, in human history where people are saying, I am this because I'm not that. So that's what scholars mean um, when when they use the term othering. It involves uh, establishing one's own identity uh, over against some other group or class of human beings.
0: Mm, interesting. And, of course, as you mentioned, you you tie a lot of your work into violence. And um, uh, before we get into the, the deeper, I want to go, there's only four chapters of the book, and we'll address each one of them, and you can kind of explain what they're about. But as you were saying that, I think of the more harmless, I guess, othering with air quotes of like, you know, I'm a Cubs fan and not a White Sox fan, or I'm a Cowboy fan and not a Redskins fan. And so is there a tie-in to maybe more benign type of othering that is maybe a little more acceptable, or is there a connection between those two, uh, if if you understand what I'm getting at?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, someone can say, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, um, I'm definitely not a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles, you know. Um, you know, it can be a kind of harmless thing if, you know, different family members have those opinions. But there are cases when support for certain uh, teams have has actually led to violence, yeah. you know, the and fisticuffs and, and even in extreme cases, maybe stabbings or shootings. And, you know, you hear about soccer hooliganism in Europe and that sort of thing. So... It can be benign, but it can also lead to violence.
0: Yes, for sure. Let's take the the chapters one by one, and then you can kind of tie in. And of course, we want to certainly get to uh, the the topic of original sin, because that's really, I think, your uh, your thesis. Uh, you know, of what this is all kind of you know, the kind of what it's all about. But chapter one says the anthropological angle. Uh, what, what, what do you get at in this chapter?
1: Well, I'm summarizing my earlier book. It's called The Trinitarian Self. And the idea is that there are three main dimensions of reality as it is experienced by human beings. And those are the vertical axis, which is God and nature, or the spiritual and the material. It's traditionally called the great chain of being. Uh, that's one dimension. The second dimension is the horizontal plane, which means society, culture, community, um, you know, man is a social animal," is the way Aristotle put it. And then the third dimension is individual selfhood, which means the uh, sort of the interior thoughts and emotions and will of, of individuals understood as distinct individuals. Um, so those are the three main dimensions. <clears throat> and I'm not inventing this idea myself. Uh, there are many, many authors in philosophy and theology, sort of intellectual world in general, um, who have written about these dimensions and, and how they relate to each other. I'm just sort of summarizing the idea.
0: Yeah, and you you mentioned that, and even on the back cover, that an example of the vertical would be Uh, Slavery, Uh, ethnic violence would be an example of horizontal, and psychotic shooters uh, an example of individual. Can you kind of explain why those would fit into those categories?
1: Right, and I'm sort of um, uh, getting into uh, how I'm connecting the word othering uh, with this. That is, the, the defenders of slavery very explicitly said there is this great chain of being where you have, you know, the the lowest animals and the sort of dogs and cats and, and chimpanzees and you get up to the human beings as the, as the highest animals. And the defenders of slavery said this vertical stratification applies to the races and the white race is superior to the black race. This is something that, that the defenders of slavery argued, not realizing that they were doing anything wrong. I mean, they thought that was a good argument. So what I would, uh the term I would use to describe that is vertical axis othering. That is, they're saying white people are different from and superior to black people who are lower down on the the ladder of being. So that's vertical othering. There's many, many examples of horizontal othering where you have groups or tribes or nations distinguishing themselves from others and and you maybe hate and attack the other in in a war or an act of ethnic cleansing or something along those lines. So I would call that horizontal othering. And then individual othering, can happen when you have individuals who are psychopaths or, or psychotic mass shooters or something like that. Sometimes they're ideological um, mass shooters, um, but you have an individual who's profoundly disturbed as an individual. And then later on in the book, I talk about um, talk about abortion and the idea of individual autonomy as another example of this what i call temporal othering but i don't think we should sort of jump right into that topic of abortion right now we should sort of uh, build up to that later in the in the interview
0: yeah okay it might be a good opportunity to and uh, looking at the conservation of time here and how much time we have uh, chapter 2 the historical angle you you mentioned slavery uh, you just mentioned abortion uh, you know, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned uh, Nazi, the Holocaust as well. So is this what you're getting at in Chapter 2, is some of the historical examples of, of, of this phenomenon?
1: Well, basically what I do in that chapter, which is a relatively long chapter, is I describe these dimensions as having a kind of sequence in Western history that is, before the American and French Revolutions, the primary political form was monarchy uh, and uh, sort of the very stratified society with the aristocrats, the middle class, the lower class, the slaves. The idea of the, the American and French Revolutions sort of introduced this idea of democracy. It turned turned things onto the horizontal plane, so to speak. But uh, in the 20th century, the horizontal plane became a disaster in the form of collectivism, Nazism, and Stalinism, and that sort of thing. So in the wake of World War II, there's been a development of individual autonomy as supposedly the solution or, or the better way of living That uh, while the, the vertical axis and the horizontal plane have been discredited. So in that chapter, I'm sort of um, preventing a, presenting a historical narrative about how human beings have sort of moved through these dimensions as politically shaping ideas. And we're now living in an age that's very individualistic. In other words, we're taking that individual selfhood dimension and we're placing a huge emphasis on that and i would say an overemphasis on that.
0: Mm. Yeah, which gets into chapter 3 the rights language angle and um, i'm curious and maybe this is what you're getting at is you know uh, you, you know clearly slavery was wrong and saying the white people are, are inherently you know superior to black people i think you know the, the most the same people would say that that doesn't make sense. Uh, the Indian culture has had a caste, a system and, uh, but on the other hand, I think there may be a movement today of saying everybody's equal. Everybody gets the participation award. You know, everybody gets A's in the class. There's, you know, uh, but Mm -hmm. I think any sane person would also say there are differences in people. Some people are smarter or better looking or more athletic or, you know, we're not, we're not equal. Uh, so how, how do you kind of get around that tension of maybe, you know, perhaps that's what you're getting at is pushing this too far into kind of, kind of rights language.
1: Well, um, yeah, I mean, there are on the horizontal plane, we, we can say there are many different differences and similarities between people. So I'm a man, so I'm similar to other men and I'm Different from women, you know I'm American, so I'm similar to other Americans, but I'm different from French people or people from uh, China or whatever so the the horizontal plane is a very complex interweaving of similarities and dissimilarities among people, and we can talk about talents you know like you were mentioning athletic talent we're you know seeing that in the Olympics and so forth so um, all of those sorts of differences can be negotiated in a way that's that 's loving, caring, ethical, and so forth it 's only when when we use these differences as a way of oppressing or doing violence to other people that it becomes problematic
0: and in in an attempt to kind of level the playing field, so to speak, you have what 's going on in our culture today where you know some people would say. You know, there there really is no difference between men and women. In fact, men can become women, and women can become men. And uh, you know, uh, it's really all just you know what, what how a person associates himself. Is this is there a connection there? I know you talk about the culture wars and the application of it. Is there uh, is is that a connection that is um, you know uh, applicable to what you're getting at with othering, or is that a whole different topic?
1: Well, it it, it is a different topic but it's related and, and what, I, what I do is I describe in the book the difference between what um, philosophers call realism versus nominalism and realism is the idea that the universe has been created by God and it has certain moral principles uh, that are built into it by God and human reason is able to comprehend these principles and these structures of nature as they come from uh, the hand of God. Nominalism is the idea that there are no moral laws or principles or structures built into the fabric of reality. Rather, human beings um, are just making it up as they go along. And human beings can sort of do whatever they want, sort of follow their own Guidance, you know, everyone can um, create their own individual world in which they're living, and, and everything becomes malleable. Not just nature is mal- malleable, but also human nature is malleable. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of in the background of, of what I'm writing about.
0: All right, chapter four is the theological angle, and I'm sure you saved this till the end for a reason. Uh, It kind of culminates with this, ties into original sin. What is the theological angle to this whole topic of
1: othering? Um, Well, um, original sin, we can say, is our alienation from our origin, that is, God um we are we're alienated we are uh, we're fallen we're corrupted we're um, not fully mature as human beings that you know to become spiritually mature is, is a pathway of development and so forth and so human beings according to the, the traditional christian idea of original sin human beings don't Naturally and automatically know what is morally right and and uh, live according to that. You know we're we're fallen sinners and so we're going to sort of justify what we want to do in our own eyes. And what I'm arguing is that that um, that like G.K. Chesterton said, original sin is the only uh, Christian doctrine that's a uh, Empirically provable. Mm-hmm. He was sort of being, uh, you know, a little bit uh, humorous when he said that. But there's a lot of substance to it. So um, what I'm saying is that when when human beings engage in othering, whether it's vertical axis othering or horizontal plane othering in groups or individual othering, in the case of abortion, um, where you have people who are older defining themselves as persons and they're defining embryos and fetuses as non-persons. See, that's what I call temporal othering. Um, There you have another form of violence. And sometimes pro-choice advocates themselves admit that abortion is a form of violence. But what I'm doing is I'm I'm uh, sort of articulating, you know, using philosophical and historical ideas, um, how it came about, how we sort of arrived at this cultural uh, position where many people think there's nothing wrong with abortion because um, there is no standard of right and wrong, no, no morality external to the human self. So every everyone is their own moral philosopher. Mm. And what I'm saying is that's that's the fruit of original sin. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Other than abortion, do you see any other uh ways that othering is prominent in you know, 2021 American or world culture?
1: Mm. Well, you know, obviously there's uh polarization within the United States between those who are called liberals and conservatives or sometimes uh, progressives and traditionalists are the terms that are used and um when you look at the big picture this kind of othering is not healthy because it's sort of like the the parable of the blind men and the elephant you know where the the different blind men are holding different part of the ele- elephant, and one thinks it's like a tree, and you know the other like a rope. And I'm sure you're familiar with that parable, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
1: so what I'm saying is, um, those on the left and on the right may be closer to the truth in their understanding of of certain things, but they're wrong about other things. But when people are are so polarized, then the way they end up thinking is, um, the group that I belong to is right about everything. And the other group that I don't belong to is wrong about everything. And when you have this sort of extreme polarization and almost hatred of, of other uh, human beings who, who think differently than you politically it 's a very unhealthy situation, yeah so my book is trying to get people to ask the deeper kind of questions that you would need to ask to to break down that kind of polarization.
0: Very nice. Uh, Dr. Charles Bellinger is my guest. Uh, his book is called Othering, The Original Sin of Humanity, and we're just about out of time, just a few minutes remaining. I wanted to ask you, first of all, uh, you, you are an academic, you work in, you know, teach at the university level. Did you write this book for the the, the common layperson, or is this more of a, a pair type, uh, a P-E-E-R, a pair type of, uh, of a book that you wrote? Uh, who, who's the audience?
1: Well, I always try to write for a, a general, you know, you could say an educated lay audience. That yeah. is, I don't just write for other scholars. Um, so I think anyone who uh, who has a college education or even a, a very bright high school student, you know, could could read this book and understand what I'm arguing.
0: Yeah. I got asked because I'm a I'm a philosophy geek. Uh, you have a quote from Immanuel Kant on, in the ins well the before the the table of contents, and I'm familiar with Kant for you know the categorical imperative and the uh, what I guess what's called the the Copernican revolution of philosophy. Um, well, why why did you put the quote from Kant, and how does that tie into this uh, othering topic? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I can I can summarize the quote, um, which is that he's he's talking about original sin and how human beings um, fell to the, the temptation provided by the serpent in the garden and that sort of thing. And, and in that book um, that, that he's, where he says that, Religion Within the Limits of Reason Alone, there are some ideas that are actually um, quite uh, congruent with traditional Christian orthodoxy. You know, Kant is often thought of as this enlightenment philosopher who's sort of leading people down the wrong path. And there are some elements of his thought that are problematic. But uh, I think he's really saying something deeply true in this quotation because he's saying human beings have become corrupted by falling into sin, but there is the hope of a return to the good from which we have strayed. That's that's you know I'm quoting there. Uh, in other words, there's a hope for redemption, uh, and that's precisely what the what the Christian message is all about is um, it's It's a message that is spoken to fallen human beings about the possibility of our redemption through um, overcoming our alienation from God, that is our original sin by being open to to the uh, redemption that was offered through Christ in his ministry his death and resurrection
0: Yes. Uh, Fascinating topic. I appreciate you writing this book, and I invite all of our listeners to get a copy of it, and it's called Othering the Original Sin of Humanity. Charles K. Bellinger is the author, B-E-L-L-I-N-G-E-R, Dr. Charles K. Bellinger. And uh, what's the best place to get it? I always say if it's at the Catholic bookstores, go there first. I don't know if that's an option or not, but uh, where do you suggest people go to get the book, Dr. Bellinger?
1: Uh, probably the easiest way is just amazon um, the the publisher uh their website is called whip and stock w i p f whip and stock uh, but you know it 's on amazon so that 's the easiest way to find it
0: okay very good well thanks for uh spend some time with us uh, appreciate it and appreciate you doing uh putting your uh, academic talents and intelligence to uh trying to to You know, improve the world and help people understand some of these, uh, uh, you know, application, well, implications of original sin, I guess you could say. Uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Bellinger, thanks so much. This has been the interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Thanks to Cicil for running the board and for you for listening. If you have topics for future interviews, please reach out to me. I'd love to speak to you. If it has something to do with our Catholic faith and you are local and it's uh, of local interest, uh, we'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, my email is Dave Palmer at davepalmergrnonline.com. God bless you. Have a great rest of your weekend. Hey Sissel, we need a new fun spot promoting the Summer Speaker Series event ASAP.
2: Don't worry Dave, I've got this. The Summer Speaker Series with Father John Ricardo is just days away on Thursday, August 5th. It's an evening of wine, hors d'oeuvres, and a keynote by Father Ricardo. Get your tickets soon because this year ticket sales are going to end on Monday, August 2nd at 6pm. There will be no tickets purchased at the door. So don't wait, get them today at summerspeakerseries.com.
0: Wow, that was a surprisingly normal spot.
2: I can't be funny all the time, Dave.
0: Have you heard of My Mutual Mortgage and Grapevine? They're longtime sponsors and supporters of KTH 910 AM and are owned by Bob and Norma Duane, active members of Good Shepherd Catholic Parish in Colleyville. My Mutual Mortgage is a sponsor of our August 5th Summer Speaker Series event with guest speaker Father John Ricardo. To learn more about My Mutual Mortgage of Grapevine, visit grapevinetexas.mymutual.com and to get your tickets to see Father Ricardo, visit SummerSpeakerseries.com. Welcome everybody to this edition of the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. I'm Dave Palmer. Diane Xavier is running the board and uh, we have a treat for you today. This uh, is certainly going to be an interesting interview and also an opportunity for you to learn how you can uh, celebrate the year of St. Joseph in a very artistic way. I have two guests in studio with me. One is certainly no stranger because the first time I ever hosted a radio program, uh, she was the co-host with me. Her name is Suzette Chidas. You probably know her. She is well known in Catholic circles here in North Texas. And she has recently, um, introduced me to a gentleman by the name of Ricardo Flores Castanes, who is the founder of Our Lady of Guadalupe Art, also, um, made by Catholics and He'll tell you about what he does, but it's statues and it's tapestries and it's a way of celebrating Our Lady of Guadalupe and St. Joseph and other saints. And it's really interesting. In fact, I'm going to give you a chance to win a couple at the end of this interview. So first of all, Suzette, thank you for... Uh, bringing this to my attention, and it's good to see you again.
2: Thank you. Good to see you. We're so very happy to be here. And isn't Ricardo amazing?
0: Yeah, he's an interesting guy. We've already had a long conversations about everything under the sun, <laughs> uh, but we got uh, twenty minutes to talk about this. How did how did the two of y'all connect, or what is what what's the connection here?
2: Well, the very first time I met Ricardo was at the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe at the shrine of our uh, the cathedral shrine in Dallas. Okay. So that's how we connected.
0: Well, years ago, recently, or what?
2: Uh, six years uh, six ago. Six years
0: ago, okay. And then you have now uh started working as a rep for um, Made by Catholics, Our Lady Guadalupe Art, and we'll be encouraging people to contact you through email. But let's first of yes. all hear what this is all about. So uh, Ricardo Flores, Castanes uh, welcome, really interesting story you have. We can't get into all of it, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and and our lady
3: Guadalupe art? Okay well, thank you, Dave, for having me. Well, we're a, a Dallas initiative, a Texas initiative with our lady Guadalupe. we've been doing it for six or seven years, but basically what well, we our thing is we try to communicate Catholicism through art mm-hmm. through images, through statues, through tapestries. <laughs> What we were talking about a while ago was that um, that for, I don't know, almost 20 centuries, people couldn't read and write, and the Catholic Church has always communicated through images mm-hmm. or songs, people singing, people seeing statues or paintings, and we try to bring it the highest quality, the lowest price to the people, these kind of Catholic images. Yes. You also uh,
0: create statues yeah. and the tapestries yeah. and a lot of different ways that people can... Uh, kind of exhibit their, their faith, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And I always think that uh, when I walk into a home, I'd lo- I, I want to see some Catholicism. Of I course. think it's a great
3: yeah. evangelization tool, isn't it? Yes, it's really nice. The people have Catholic objects in their homes. It's nice. It's a way to evangelize themselves every day, their family, their visitors, everything. It's really nice.
0: Yeah, you. Um, when Suzette brought you to my attention, she said that you had some beautiful tapestries and you mailed a a few of them to me and you also sent some others. Let's talk about... Saint Joseph, because yes. you have these tapestries that no, are they? Um, I'm I'm sure the dimensions, but uh, different versions of Saint Joseph holding Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about the different images and the options that you, well, that you have.
3: Well, well, we got into this every time we make something, we select an image. Of course, there's ten thousand different different images of Saint Joseph, right? So it's very difficult to select. This time we selected three different images. One is the painting, the Chambers painting. that's very famous where Jesus, our Lord Jesus is young and he's the, he's holding a, a, a young boy, maybe three years old, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. The other one is a more traditional one where everybody thinks Jesus, uh, jo, St. Joseph was a senior. So he's this beautiful painting, Italian painting of 150 years old where he's a senior carrying a baby, Jesus Christ. And the third one is a very traditional image where St. Joseph is carrying. It's more and more about a 1,000-year-old image where he's carrying a baby in his arms, which is Jesus Christ. And he, and he has a lily next to him, and it's basically a yellow motif. Mm-hmm. They
0: are, uh, what, 5 by 9 or 8 by 11. And how, how do you suggest people... Um, exhibit these? Are these for homes, for offices? Uh, I I know they come in probably different sizes. You gave me one that that's huge, like eight feet tall. Yeah, that well, we, there's one that's the eight
3: by three feet that a lot of churches in Dallas already have them. Yeah. We're very blessed because, for example, the Cathedral of Guadalupe has one. Uh, PO10 has one of our banners. The Immaculate Heart of Mary in Fort Worth has one of our banners. So there's a lot of churches that put them up. They're not expensive, and they let them proclaim the USA Joseph. Now the small ones, uh, they really don't have a use. They the use is to pray, mm-hmm. okay? They can they're made so you don't have to spend money framing them. You just put a piece of uh, a little dowel on the top, and you can hang them in your workplace. You can put them inside your Bible, when it, or you can frame them. There's one is eight by eleven, and the other one is five by nine. But it, we're only trying to give an inspiring image to people so they can carry it around. Some of them hanging on the on the mirror of their truck.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell us about your own devotion to Our Lady. I, I'm sorry, to Saint Joseph, uh, because I, I know that we, you know, th- there, there's so much that people don't know about him. We're learning a lot this year. Uh, the Holy Father called for the Year of Saint Joseph. Uh, wh- what is it? Uh, the, the the message of his life from your perspective? Of what can we learn from this saint?
3: Well, Saint Joseph is really a uh, It's it's really strange because a lot of people that I've talked to look for a a lot of reference of St. Joseph in the Bible and there's almost nothing. Well, that's not a mistake because he was a guy that always kept a very low profile. He did a very important mission with taking care of Mother Mary and Jesus since they were small. He defended them, protected them all the way. Uh, He wasn't at the crucifixion because he died before. That's why everybody said, where was St. Joseph the day of the crucifixion? He died before. He died in the arms of Jesus Christ. So he did a very good job, and he kept a very discreet profile all the time. A very humble person. He worked really hard, and and me as a father, I am a father of three, married thirty years. I like this Saint Joseph because it's it, like I I really work hard. I really do an effort. I always give like the front line to my kids and my wife because they deserve it. But we uh, as men. We, I think Catholic men were very like Saint Joseph.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, made by Catholics, the name implies. Well, it states these are this is Catholic made, employing Catholics, supporting Catholics. Tell us about that angle. Yeah, of
3: that it. sounds a little bit radical. I'm, I'm sorry, maybe people don't like it a lot, but uh, oh, I think our audience likes it. <laughs> well, we are a group of companies, 50 years old, three or four companies. We're all. We all make other things, right? Other articles, other kinds of statues, other kinds of prints, other kinds of everything. But we're all Catholics. All our workers are Catholics. Okay. And we're just trying to send a simple message. If you're going to buy something Catholic, if it's possible, please buy, not only from a Catholic store, also, from a Catholic producer.
0: hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the author. And that's what uh, they are. Uh, there's a couple websites Our Lady of us, and also Year of St. us. And uh, Suzette's going to also provide an email address if you want to get a hold of her uh, directly. You mentioned six years ago you met Ricardo mm-hmm. at, at the, the Cathedral, uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess on December 12th, Our Lady of mm-hmm, Guadalupe mm-hmm. Mass. How did it come about? Because uh, you've only recently started working and, and repping for this company. How did that re- business relationship start?
2: <laughs> well, I think he Facebooked me one day, asked me if I would be interested in um, selling yeah, these products. we don't do
3: retail. We we, we're, we're, we we work very hard, but we don't do... We don't it's sell all person-to-person.
2: Person. And uh, I... Is no, that we, we sell
3: the people that can make some money to help the church or help themselves.
2: Anyway, he asked me if I'd be interested in selling, and I said, to be honest, I'm more interested in promoting St. Joseph. Yeah.
0: Didn't I Correct. say that, Ricardo? Yes, of course, of course. Because of
2: course. this is the year of St. Joseph, and you know how strongly I feel, you know, years ago, I'm going to tell you a little personal story. My spiritual director, Father Bob Stripmatter in Fort Worth, he sat me in front of the Blessed Sacrament one day. He prayed over me, and he dedicated me to St. Joseph to take care of And as a single woman, that means a lot to me Mm -hmm. because he has never, ever failed me. And Dave, I have a little quote from one of your favorite saints, St. Thomas Aquinas. It's a short one. He said, Some saints are privileged to extend to us their patronage with particular efficacy in certain needs, but not in others but our holy patron saint joseph has the power to assist us in all cases in every necessity in every undertaking and i've mentioned before about saint teresa of avila saint joseph was saint teresa's go-to saint
0: mm-hmm. and
2: he never ever failed her and he will never ever fail you and i just want everyone to remember from this little interview three words go to saint joseph mm-hmm. or go to joseph go to joseph if you have a problem go to joseph
0: yeah yeah i do recall that now because you you've in the past we've done interviews about Mm -hmm. saint joseph and i do now remember that connection with your spiritual director as well so what uh other than doing radio interviews and promoting it this way how are you uh promoting saint joseph and also by doing so also um encouraging people to have visual representations of him
2: um, just online and speaking with people and just every way possible through social media.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so St. Joseph, um, of course, you know, we, we want to honor him every year, but this is a particular year, Ricardo, to, to focus on him. But you also have a great devotion to Our Lady Guadalupe and have images available of her Tilma as
3: well, right? Yes, well, we're the, we're, we're the only printers. In the States and I guess in the world, to do it on Jude because everybody should remember that they, uh, Our Lady left her image on Jude or burlap, which is the very humble textile. 30% of the message of, of what Our Lady of Guadalupe left was that she left it. She could have left it in gold. She could have left it in sanded, She left it in this very humble textile. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we do. We make a very close to the real image. We don't Photoshop. We don't do nothing. We give you the closest possible for the lowest price possible, so everybody can have an image in their home. Mm, very nice. That's you work. You
0: work with the Knights of Columbus
3: also. i yeah, are great guy. You know the Knights. They're, yeah. they're, they're, I'm a Knight, but I'm just a new I'm just nobody there. But I mean, the Knights are huge people. I have the greatest respect for what they do, and uh, a lot of the Knights in Dallas, in Fort Worth, Houston are doing a little bit of fundraising for their causes with the team. But that's not really the issue. The issue is to recognize also with the year of St. Joseph, also that uh, Brother Michael McGivney was just blessed three months ago. The job of this group of Catholic men and their wives to what to do for society in Texas in the States and in Texas and in Dallas is remarkable. Mm-hmm. So if you're not a knight, at least try to help the knights. Yeah, please.
0: yeah I'm, uh, I'm a knight myself. Suzanne, why, why do you think, uh, or maybe he stated it directly, I don't, just don't remember hearing the answer, why did Pope Francis dedicate this year to St Joseph. Why why now? Why 2021? Uh, is there a particular reason or some reason why devotion to him is important during this time?
2: Of course, remember the importance of fathers in our world today. Just like yeah. in Fatima, one of the visions was St Joseph holding the baby Jesus. Yeah. And um I think Pope Francis, you know, he's trying, you know, it's called a father's heart, you know, the heart of a father, but just the ordinariness of St Joseph, the little things he did everyday quietly without anyone, you know, really watching him. And so he's inspirational to all men, to, mm-hmm. to holy priests, yeah. you know, to fathers, to people who are not, you know, biological fathers, but can still be a father to other people. You know, and um, I think um, the words of Our Lady to St. Bridget of Sweden, I won't go over the whole thing, but part of it is just so beautiful. St. Joseph was so reserved. And careful in his speech that not one word ever issued from his mouth that was not good and holy, nor did he ever indulge in unnecessary or less than charitable conversation. He was most patient and diligent in bearing fatigue. He practiced extreme poverty. He was meek in bearing injuries. He was strong and constant against enemies. And the list goes on and on. But aren't those amazing characteristics for any man, mm-hmm. to try and follow. So I think the importance of, father, you know, it, first of all, you know, St. Joseph reminds us of our Heavenly Father. Yeah. But the importance of fathers in our world today mm-hmm. and, you know, raising good, strong families, I just think it's a wonderful thing Pope Francis has done just to remind us that the ordinary in the ordinary we become holy.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's a great conversation piece. I know um we have a lot of religious art in our house. People come over and say or the epiphany blessing above the the door, you know, mm-hmm. and the people well, what is that? What are they? You know, it, it brings a good opportunity to talk about uh great saints. You know, another thing I heard a a, a priest say that and Ricardo, you might relate to this. Sometimes we as husbands or fathers we may feel inadequate. We may feel like, gosh, my, my wife's holier than me. My, my kids mm-hmm. are holier than me. I don't know why. <laughs> why am I the leader of this family? Well, think of St. Joseph, when your wife is the Blessed Virgin Mary, you know, without sin, and, uh, and, you at, and, and your you son is that. God. Mean, responsibility. <laughs> and, yeah, but you've got to lead this family. And, I mean, if, and yeah. if
3: you socially, you see it like when we see the Catholic family, right? Of all our families, right? Mothers are paramount, right? They're important. Super important in the family. Children, boys and girls, they're really important also, right? But, uh, and grandmothers, of course, yes. But then the granddads and the the fathers, we do a lot of job, right? So Mm. I think what the the Pope has tried to do, Pope Francis tried to say, well, just take a look at the guys also that they really do a good job. Yeah. Because I feel like a Catholic father that I really work hard and I really try to do my job and I really try to keep out of the spotlight in my family. But we do, I think the Pope would say, take a look at these guys, at the dads. Take a look at the dads. That's how I see it in a very primitive way, but that's how I see it. And he also
2: wrote it during the pandemic Mm -hmm. when he noticed that all the healthcare workers, you know, the people at the supermarkets, all these, quote, unquote, ordinary people, you know, are very, very special, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, resemble St. Joseph quite a bit.
0: And let's talk about the nuts and bolts and Suzette. This is where you can encourage people to email you or visit the website and order it. If somebody's saying, well, yeah, gosh, I'd, I'd like one of those. I don't know which one to choose, what size, what I should get, how, where I. Where I put it, tell us, give them some encouragement as far as where they can visit, they can see some of these, and and, and maybe purchase some. Yes, yeah,
2: so I'm actually um, have a site on um, Facebook, St. <laughs> Joseph Banner, so you can email me would be the easiest thing, St. Joseph Banner at gmail dot com. I'm going to repeat that, St. Joseph Banner at gmail dot com, or call me at eight one seven. 2478527 again that's 8172478527 and i really want to encourage everyone to at least get one of the small ones or if you have the funds purchase one of the incredibly beautiful banners for your parish for your catholic school catholic hospital you know um they're absolutely gorgeous i introduced ricardo to another friend of mine who used to own a, a fine art gallery in Austin, probably the nicest fine arts gallery in Austin. And he purchased 10. I think one was going to go for a bishop. Just want to encourage people, if you have the funds, go ahead and purchase some and, and spread the joy around so people can be inspired by St. Joseph.
0: All right. That's uh, Saint Banner at gmail.com. Uh, that's stjosephbanner at gmail.com. I think, is that right? That's and correct. Phone number 817-247-8527, 817-24- Seven eight five two seven. We're talking about uh, the Our Lady Guadalupe art, and also made by Catholics, especially during this year of Saint Joseph. Getting a nice uh, tapestry and the various sizes, various styles, various images of Our Lady uh, Our Lady Guadalupe, and also Saint Joseph as well. It's it's really beautiful. Um, Ricardo, I, I want to give you uh, the last word. We're down to a last couple of minutes, and then we'll remind everybody about how they can get these. Uh, what, what else, uh, words of encouragement, or anything you want to say uh, to our listeners right now to encourage well, them well, to I, make their, 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 their faith more visible?
3: I'd like to say that uh, we, are, we are not scholars. We are not experts. We just try to look for the nicest images, the more real images, and we try to put them in the hands of people. I think it's very important to have Catholic images in your car, in your home, in your work, whatever you want to remind you of your faith. It's such beautiful Catholic images, okay? And uh, and mainly this is a Texas initiative, a Dallas initiative. Uh, made by Catholics. Yeah.
0: Now, do you, do you have other saints as well? If somebody says, oh, I'd like St. Rose of Lima or St. Catherine of yeah, Siena, okay. are there we a lot of that. others? We
3: do that. We don't do it a lot because we're not a huge operation. Yeah. But yes, for example, I don't remember, I think a, a temple called the Pilate in South Dallas. We just made a mercy banner for them, really nice. So we do that also. If if a church wants a special banner Mm -hmm. of of, of a saint, we can do that. We do that. We don't do it a lot, but we can do it a lot. They can contact uh, Suzette and see about that. And, of course, we can do it. Not that that I mind they contact me, but I'm so overwhelmed with what I do. And Suzette is helping us, so it's better that we do it that way. That's the best way.
0: Yeah, that's good. All right, Suzette, last word, uh, uh, and maybe in, include that contact information also if you would.
2: Okay, let me do that first. St. Joseph Banner at gmail.com. Again, that's st. Joseph Banner at gmail.com. And my number is 817- 2478527 and just a little encouragement to go to Joseph. These words are from Our Lady to Venerable Mary of Agreda. This is Our Lady speaking. The children of the world are ignorant regarding the privileges and rights which the Most High has conferred on my holy spouse and the power of his intercession with the divine majesty and with me, but I assure you, my daughter, that in heaven he is most intimate with the Lord and has He has great power to avert the punishment of divine justice from sinners. In all trials, seek his intercession, because the Heavenly Father will grant whatever my spouse asks. On the day of judgment, the condemned will weep bitterly for not having realized how powerful and efficacious a means of salvation they might have had in the intercession of St. Joseph, and for not having done their utmost to gain the friendship of the eternal judge.
0: Very nice. That's a good way to close out. And also, I mentioned, uh, I uh, want to thanks to Ricardo. uh, uh, Give a couple of these away. If you would like to have a tapestry, these are the 8x11s of St. Joseph and Jesus. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth in North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Catholic Radio for your soul. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.